Shishbi, and other similar Old Testament passages, and, from the New Testament, the Magnificat, the Benedictions and the Nunguimides, are admitted as Psalms. The antiphons are short liturgical forms, sometimes of biblical, sometimes of patristic origin, used to introduce a psalm. The term originally signified a chant by alternate choirs, but has quite lost this meaning in the breviary. The responsories are similar in form to the antiphons, but come at the end of the psalm, being originally the reply of the choir or congregation to the precentor who recited the psalm. The hymns are short poems going back in part to the days of Prudentes, Sinises, Gregory of Nazianzus and Ambrose 4th and 5th centuries, but mainly the work of medieval authors. Together they make a fine collection, and it is a pity that Urban VII, in his mistaken humanistic zeal tried to improve them. The lessons, as has been seen, are drawn variously from the Bible, the Acts of the Saints and the Fathers of the Church, in the Primitive Church. Books afterwards excluded from the canon were often read, e.g. the letters of Clement of Rome and the Shepherd of Hermas. In later days the churches of Africa, having rich memorials of martyrdom, used them to supplement the reading of scripture. Monastic influence accounts for the practice of adding to the reading of a biblical passage some patristic commentary or exposition. Books of homilies were compiled from the writings of S.S. Augustine, Hilary, Athanasius, Isidore, Gregory the Great and others and formed part of the library of which the breviary was the ultimate compendium. In the lessons, as in the Psalms, the order for special days breaks in upon the normal order of ferial offices and dislocates the scheme for consecutive reading. The lessons are read at Matins which is subdivided into three nocturnes. The little chapters are very short lessons read at the other hours. The versiclas are short responsories used after the little chapters. The collects come at the close of the office and are short prayers summing up the supplications of the congregation. They arise out of a primitive practice on the part of the bishop local president, examples of which are found in the didache teaching of the apostles and in the letters of Clement of Rome and Cyprian. With the crystallization of church order improvisation in prayer largely gave place to set forms, and collections of prayers were made which later developed into sacramentaries and orationals. The collects of the breviary are largely drawn from the Gelasian and other sacramentaries, and they are used to sum up the dominant idea of the festival in connection with which they happen to be used. The difficulty of harmonizing the proprime de tempore and the proprime sanctorum, to which reference has been made, is only partly met in the 37 chapters of general rubrics. Additional help is given by a kind of Catholic churchman's almanac, called the Ordo Recitandi Divini Officii published in different countries and dioceses, and giving, under every day, minute directions for proper reading. Every clerk in orders and every member of a religious order must publicly join and or privately read aloud i.e. using the lips as well as the eyes it takes about two hours in this way the whole of the breviary services allotted for each day. In large churches the services are usually grouped, e.g. matins and logs about 7.30 a meters, prime, terse high mass, sext and none about 10 a.m., Vespers and Compline 4 p.m., and from 4 to 8 hours depending on the amount of music and the number of high masses are thus spent in choir. Laymen do not use the breviary as a manual of devotion to any great extent. The Roman breviary has been translated into English by the Marquis of Butte in 1879, New Education with a Trans, of the Martyrology, 1908, French and German. The English version is noteworthy for its inclusion of the skillful renderings of the ancient hymns by J. H. Newman, J. N. Neal and others. Authorities. F. Cabral. 
Introduction Aedudes Liturgics, Probst, Kierkenlex, E.I. S.V. Brivier, Beamer, Jeskichte des Briviers Freiburg, 1895, Peabody Fole, O Historia du Brivier Romain Paris, 1893, Eng, T.R. Baudot, O Brivier Romain 1907, A Complete Bibliography is appended to the article by F. Cabral in the Catholic Encyclopedia, Volume I, 1908. It was approved by Clement VII and Paul III, and permitted as a substitute for the unrevised breviary, until Pius V in 1568 excluded it as too short and too modern, and issued a reformed edition breviarium pianum, pian breviary of the old breviary. The serum rite was much favored in Scotland as a kind of protest against the jurisdiction claimed by the Church of York. Breviary of Alaric Breviarium Alaricanum, a collection of Roman law, compiled by order of Alaric II. King of the Visigoths, with the advice of his bishops and nobles, in the 22nd year of his reign A.D. 506, it comprises 16 books of the Theodosian Code, the novels of Theodosius I.I., Valentinian I.I., Martian, Majorianus and Severus, the Institutes of Deus, 5 books of the Sententiae Recepti of Julius Paulus, 13 titles of the Gregorian Code, 2 titles of the Hermoanian Code, and a fragment of the first book of the Responsa Popiniani. It is termed a code codex, in the certificate of Onionus, the king's referendary, but then like the code of Justinian, from which the writings of jurists were excluded, it comprises both imperial constitutions legs and juridical treatises jura, from the circumstance that the breviarium has prefixed to it a royal rescript commonatorium directing that copies of it, certified under the hand of Onionus, should be received exclusively as law throughout the kingdom of the Visigoths. The compilation of the code has been attributed to Onionus by many writers, and it is frequently designated the breviary of Onionus Breviarium Oniani. The code, however, appears to have been known amongst the Visigoths by the title of Lex Romana, or Lex Theodosii, and it was not until the 16th century that the title of Breviarium was introduced to distinguish it from a recast of the code, which was introduced into northern Italy in the 9th century for the use of the Romans in Lombardy. This recast of the Visigothic Code has been preserved in a myth known as the Codex Utinensis, which was formerly kept in the archives of the Cathedral of Udine, but is now lost, and it was published in the 18th century for the first time by P. Kensiani in his collection of ancient laws entitled Barbarorum Legs Antiqui. Another myth of this Lombard recast of the Visigothic Code was discovered by Hainel in the Library of St. Gall. The chief value of the Visigothic Code consists in the fact that it is the only collection of Roman law in which the five first books of the Theodosian Code and five books of the Sententiae Recepti of Julius Paulus have been preserved, and until the discovery of a myth in the chapter library in Verona, which contained the greater part of the Institutes of Deus, it was the only work in which any portion of the institutional writings of that great jurist had come down to us. The most complete edition of the Breviarium will be found in the collection of Roman law published under the title of Jus Civile Antigistinianum Berlin, 1815. See also G. Hainel's Lex Romana Visigodorum Berlin, 1847-1849. Brewer, John S. H. E. R. R. in 1810-1879. English historian, was born in Norwich in 1810, the son of a Baptist schoolmaster. He was educated at Queen's College, Oxford was ordained in the Church of England in 1837, and became chaplain to a central London workhouse. In 1839 he was appointed lecturer in classical literature at King's College, London, 
and in 1855 he became professor of English language and literature and lecturer in modern history, succeeding F.D. Morris. Meanwhile from 1854 onwards he was also engaged in journalistic work on the Morning Herald, Morning Post and Standard. In 1856 he was commissioned by the Master of the Rolls to prepare a calendar of the state papers of Henry VIII, a work demanding a vast amount of research. He was also made reader at the Rolls, and subsequently preacher. In 1877 this really secured for him the crown living of Chapasfield, Essex. There he had time to continue his task of preparing his letters and papers of the reign of King Henry VIII, the introductions to which published separately, under the title The Reign of Henry VIII, in 1884 form a scholarly and authoritative history of Henry VIII.S reign. New editions of several standard historical works were also produced under Brewer's direction. He died at Topazfield in February 1879. V.04P.0506 Brewing in the modern acceptation of the term, a series of operations the object of which is to prepare an alcoholic beverage of a certain kind to wit, beer mainly from cereals chiefly malt barley, hops and water, although the art of preparing beer QV or ale is a very ancient one, there is very little information in the literature of the subject as to the apparatus and methods employed in early times, it seems fairly certain, however, that up to the 18th century these were of the most primitive kind, with regard to materials, we know that prior to the general introduction of the hopsy ale as a preservative and astringent, a number of other bitter and aromatic plants had been employed with this end in view. Thus J.L. Baker the brewing industry points out that the Chimbri used the Tamari Germanica, the Scandinavians the fruit of the sweet gale near the gale, the Kochi the fruit and the twigs of the chaste tree the Texagris castus, and the Icelanders the Yarrowachilia milfolium. The preparation of beer on anything approaching to a manufacturing scale appears, until about the 12th or 13th century, to have been carried on in England chiefly in the monasteries, but as the brewers of London combined to form an association in the reign of Henry I.D., and were granted a charter in 1445, it is evident that brewing as a special trade or industry must have developed with some rapidity. After the Reformation the ranks of the trade brewers were swelled by numbers of monks from the expropriated monasteries. Until the 18th century the professional brewers, or brewers for sale, as they are now called, brewed chiefly for the masses, the welfare classes preparing their own beer, but it then became gradually apparent to the latter owing no doubt to improved methods of brewing, and for others reasons that it was more economical and less troublesome to have their beer brewed for them at a regular brewery. The usual charge was 30s, per barrel for bitter ale, and 8s, or so for small beer. This tendency to centralize brewing operations became more and more marked with each succeeding decade. Thus during 1895-1905 the number of private brewers declined from 17.041 to 99.30. Of the private brewers still existing, about four-fifths were in the class exempted from beer duty, i.e. farmers occupying houses not exceeding L10 annual value who brew for their laborers, and other persons occupying houses not exceeding L15 annual value. The private houses subject to both beer and license duty produced less than 20.000 barrels annually. There are no official figures as to the number of cottage brewers, that island occupiers of dwellings not exceeding L8 annual value, but taking everything into consideration it is probable that more than 99 of the beer produced in the United Kingdom is brewed by public brewers brewers for sale. 
the disappearance of the smaller public brewers or their absorption by the larger concerns has gone hand in hand with the gradual extinction of the private brewer. In the year 1894-1895-8863 licenses were issued to brewers for sale, and by 1904-1905 this number had been reduced to 5164. There are numerous reasons for these changes in the constitution of the brewing industry, chief among them being of the increasing difficulty, owing partly to a licensing legislation and its administration, and partly to the competition of the great breweries of obtaining an adequate outlet for retail sale in the shape of licensed houses, and be the fact that brewing has continuously become a more scientific and specialized industry, requiring costly and complicated plan and expert manipulation. It is only by employing the most up-to-date machinery and expert knowledge that the modern brewer can hope to produce good beer in the short time which competition and high taxation, and see, have forced upon him. Under these conditions the small brewer tends to extinction and the public are ultimately the gainers, the relatively non-alcoholic, lightly hopped and bright modern beers, which the small brewer has not the means of producing, are a great advance on the muddy, highly hopped and alcoholized beverages to which our ancestors were accustomed. The brewing trade has reached vast proportions in the United Kingdom. The maximum production was area code 3709098 barrels in 1900, and while there has been a steady decline since that year, the figures for 1905-1906 area code 3410926-3 barrels were in excess of those for any year preceding 1897. It is interesting in this connection to note that the writer of the article on brewing in the ninth edition of the Encyclopedia Britannica was of the opinion that the brewing industry which was then 1875 producing, roughly, Area code 25000000 barrels had attained its maximum development. In the year ending 30th September 1905 the beer duty received by the exchequer amounted to L14.156.053. The number of brewers for sale was 5180. Of these one firm, namely, Mesros Guinness, owning the largest brewery in the world, brewed upwards of 2 million barrels, paying a sum of, roughly, 1 million sterling to the revenue. Three other firms brewed close on a million barrels or upwards. The quantity of malt used was area code 5181869 bushels of unmalted corn, 125.671 bushels of rice, flaked maize and similar materials, 1.348.558 CWD dot of sugar, 2.746.615 CWD dot of hops, area code 6236081 pounds and of hop substitutes. 49.202 pounds. The average specific gravity of the beer produced in 1905-1906 was 1,053.24. The quantity of beer exported was 520.826, of beer imported, 57.194 barrels. It is curious to note that the figures for exports and imports had remained almost stationary for the last 30 years. By far the greater part of the beer brewed is consumed in England. Thus of the total quantity retained for consumption in 1905-1906, area code 2859056.3 barrels were consumed in England, 1.648.463 in Scotland, and 3.265.084 in Ireland. In 1871 it was calculated by Professor Leon Levi that the capital invested in the liquor trade in the United Kingdom was L117.000.000. 
In 1908 this figure might be safely doubled. A writer in the Brewer's Almanac for 1906 placed the capital invested in limited liability breweries alone at L185.000.000. If we allow for overcapitalization, it seems fairly safe to say that, prior to the introduction of the licensing bill of 1908, the market value of the breweries in the United Kingdom, together with their licensed property, was in the neighborhood of L120.000.000 to which might be added another L20.000.000 for the value of licenses not included in the above calculation, the total capital actually sunk in the whole liquor trade including the wine and spirit industries and trades being probably not far short of L250.000.000, and the number of persons directly engaged in or dependent on the liquor trade being underestimated at 2.000.000. For comparative production and consumption see beer, taxation and regulations. The development of the brewing industry in England is intimately interwoven with the history of its taxation, and the regulations which have from time to time been formed for the safeguarding of the revenue. The first duty on beer in the United Kingdom was imposed in the reign of Charles I. I. 1660, namely to S. 60, per barrel on strong and 60, per barrel on weak beer. This was gradually increased amounting to 4s, 9d, on strong and 1s, 3d, on weak beer in the last decade of the 17th century, and to 8s, 2tenths, in the year 1800, at which rate it continued until the repeal of the beer duty in 1830. A duty on malt was first imposed in the reign of William I.I., 1697, and from that date until 1830 both beer duty and malt tax were charged. The rate at first was under 7d, per bushel but this was increased up to 2s. 7d, prior to the first repeal of the beer duty 1830, and to 4s. 60, after the repeal. In 1829 the joint beer and malt taxes amounted to no less than 13s. 8d, per barrel, or 41 to d, per gallon, as against 21 to d, at the present day. From 1856 until the abolition of the malt tax, the latter remained constant at a fraction under 2s. 81 to d, a hop duty varying from 1 d, to 21 to d, per pound was in existence between 1711 and 1862. One of the main reasons for the abolition of the hop duty was the fact that, owing to the uncertainty of the crop, the amount paid to the revenue was subject to a wide fluctuations. Thus in 1855 the revenue from this source amounted to L728.183. In 1861 to only L149.700, it was not until 1847 that the use of sugar in brewing was permitted, and in 1850 the first sugar tax, amounting to a 1s, 4d, per CWD, was imposed, it varied from this figure up to 6s, 60, in 1854, and in 1874, when the general duty on sugar was repealed, it was raised to 11s, 60 at which rate it remained until 1880, when it was repealed simultaneously with the malt duty. In 1901 a general sugar tax of 4s, 2d, and under according to the percentage of actual sugar contained was imposed, but no drawback was allowed to brewers using sugar, and therefore and this obtains at the present day sugar used in brewing pays the general tax and also the beer duty. By the Free Mashton Act of 1880, the duty was taken off the malt and placed on the beer, or more properly speaking, on the wort, 
Meltzer's and Brewer's licenses were repealed, and in lieu thereof an annual license duty of L1 payable by every brewer for sale was B.04P.0507 imposed. The chief feature of this act was that, on and after the 1st of October 1880, a beer duty was imposed in lieu of the old malt tax, at the rate of success, 3D, per barrel of 36 gallons, at a specific gravity of 1.057, and the regulations for charging the duty were so framed as to leave the brewer practically unrestricted as to the description of malt or corn and sugar, or other description of saccharine substitutes other than deleterious articles or drugs, which he might use in the manufacture or coloring of beer. This freedom in the choice of materials has continued down to the present time, except that the use of saccharine, a product derived from coal tar was prohibited in 1888. The reason being that this substance gives an apparent palate fullness to beer equal to roughly 4 degrees in excess of its real gravity, the revenue suffering thereby. In 1889 the duty on beer was increased by a reduction in the standard of gravity from 1.057 to 1.055, and in 1894 a further 60 per barrel was added. The duty thus became success. 90 per barrel, at a gravity of 1.055 which was further increased to 7s. 90, per barrel by the war budget of 1900, at which figure it stood in 1909. See also liquor laws, prior to 1896. Rice, flake may below, and other similar preparations had been classed as malt or corn in reference to their worth producing powers, but after that date they were deemed sugar in that regard, by the new act 1880 42 pounds weight of corn, or 28 pounds weight of sugar were to be deemed the equivalent of a bushel of malt, and a brewer was expected by one of the modes of charge to have brewed at least a barrel 36 gallons of worts less for allowed for wastage at the standard gravity for every two bushels of malt or its equivalents used by him in brewing, but where, owing to a lack of skill or inferior machinery, a brewer cannot obtain the standard quantity of worth from the standard equivalent of material, the charge is made not on the wort, but directly on the material, by the new act. Licenses at the annual duty of L1 on brewers for sale, and of success, subsequently modified by 44 Vict, C12, and 48 and 49 Vict, C5, and C24 S, or 9 S, as the case might be, on any other brewers, were required. The regulations dealing with the mashing operations are very stringent. 24 hours at least before mashing the brewer must enter in his brewing book provided by the inland revenue the day and hour for commencing to mash malt, corn, and sea, or to dissolve sugar, and the date of making such entry, and also, 2 hours at least before the notice hour for mashing, the quantity of malt, corn, and sea, and sugar to be used, and the day and hour when all the worts will be drawn off the grains in the mash tun. The worts of each brewing must be collected within 12 hours of the commencement of the collection, and the brewer must within a given time enter in his book the quantity and gravity of the worts before fermentation, the number and name of the vessel, and the date of the entry. The worts must remain in the same vessel undisturbed for 12 hours after being collected, unless previously taken account of by the officer. There are other regulations, e.g. those prohibiting the mixing of worts of different brewings unless account has been taken of each separately the alteration of the size or shape of any gauged vessel without notice, and so on. Taxation of beer in foreign countries. The following table shows the nature of the tax and the amount of the same calculated to English barrels. Country. Nature of tax. Amount per English barrel round numbers United States beer tax 5s. 
90. Germany and German Customs Malt Tax 1S. 60. Union Bavaria Malt Tax 3S. 5D. 24S. 8D. According to quantity produced Belgium Malt Tax 2S. 9D. France onward 4S. 1D. Holland on cubic about 1S. 9D. To 3S. Contents of 3D. According to Mashton or on quality Malt Austro-Hungarian Empire onward 6S. 8D. Russia Malt Tax 5S. 2-6S, 8D, materials used in brewing, these are water, malt QV hops QV various substitutes for the two latter, and preservatives, water, a satisfactory supply of water which, it may here be mentioned, is always called liquor in the brewery is a matter of great importance to the brewer, certain waters, for instance, those contaminated to any extent with organic matter, cannot be used at all in brewing, as they give rise to unsatisfactory fermentation, cloudiness and abnormal flavor, others again, although sweet to the production of one type of beer, are quite unfit for the brewing of another, for black beers a soft water is a desideratum, for ales of the burnt type a hard water is a necessity, for the brewing of mild ales, again, a water containing a certain proportion of chlorides is required, the presence or absence of certain mineral substances as such in the finished beer is not, apparently, a matter of any moment as regards flavor or appearance, but the importance of the role played by these substances in the brewing process is due to the influence which they exert on the solvent action of the water on the various constituents of the malt, and possibly of the hops. The excellent quality of the burnt nails was long ago surmised to be due mainly to the well water obtainable in that town. On analyzing burnt water it was found to contain a considerable quantity of calcium sulfate gypsum and of other calcium and magnesium salts. And it is now a well-known fact that good bitter ills cannot be brewed except with waters containing these substances in sufficient quantities. Similarly, good mild ale waters should contain a certain quantity of sodium chloride, and waters forced out very little mineral matter, excepting perhaps the carbonates of the alkaline earths, which are precipitated on boiling. The following analyses from W.J. Sykes. The principles and practice of brewing are fairly illustrative of typical brewing waters. Burton water pale ale grains per gallon sodium chloride 3.90 potassium sulfate 1.59 sodium nitrate 1.97 calcium sulfate 77.87 calcium carbonate 7.62 magnesium carbonate 21.31 silica and alumina 0.98 Dublin water stout. Sodium chloride 1.83 calcium sulfate 4.45 calcium carbonate 14.21 magnesium carbonate 0.90 iron oxide and 0.24 alumina silica 0.26 mild ale water. Sodium chloride 35.14 calcium chloride 3.88 calcium sulfate 6.23 calcium carbonate 4.01 iron oxide and 0.24 alumina silica 0.22 Our knowledge of the essential chemical constituents of brewing waters enables brewers in many cases to treat an unsatisfactory supply artificially in such a manner as to modify its character in a favorable sense. Thus, if a soft water only is to hand, and it is desired to brew a bitter ale. All that is necessary is to add a sufficiency of gypsum, magnesium sulfate and calcium chloride. If it is desired to convert a soft water lacking in chlorides into a satisfactory mild ale liquor, the addition of 30-40 grains of sodium chloride will be necessary. On the other hand, to convert a hard water into a soft supply is scarcely feasible for brewing purposes. To the substances used for treating brewing liquors already mentioned we may add kinite. 
a naturally deposited composite salt containing potassium and magnesium sulfates and magnesium chloride. Malt substitutes. Prior to the repeal of the Malt Acts, the only substitute for malt allowed in the United Kingdom was sugar. The quantity of the latter employed was 295.865 CWD. In 1870, 1.136.434 1.136.434 CWD, in 1880, and 2.746.615 CWD, in 1905, that is to say, that the quantity used had been practically trebled during the last 25 years, although the quantity of malt employed had not materially increased, at the same time other substitutes, such as unmalted corn and preparations of rice and maize, had come into favor. The quantity of these substances used being in 1905 125.671 bushels of unmalted corn and 1.348.558 CWD of rice, maize, and sea. The following statistics with regard to the use of malt substitutes in the United Kingdom are not without interest. V.04P.0508 year. Quantities of quantities of percentage malt and corn sugar. Rice. Of used in maize. And C. Used substitutes brewing. In brewing. To total material. Bushels. Bushels. 1878 area code 59388908.05 3.800.25.148.6.058.1.48.6.058.1.48.6.058.1.48.6.058.1.48.6.058.1.48.6.058.1.48.6.058.1.48.6.058.1.48.6.058.1.48.6.058.1.48.6.058.1.
knowing that beyond that point the loss of flavor and quality will in the long run become a more serious item than any increased profits which he might temporarily gain. With regard to the nature of the substitutes or adjuncts for barley malt more generally employed, raw grain and malted barley, wheat, rice, maize, and sea, is not used extensively in Great Britain, but in America brewers employ as much as 50, and even more, of maize, rice or similar materials. The maize and rice preparations mostly used in England are practically starch pure and simple. Substantially the whole of the oil, water, and other subsidiary constituents of the grain being removed. The germ of maize contains a considerable proportion of an oil of somewhat unpleasant flavor, which has to be eliminated before the material is fit for use in the mash tun. After degerming, the maize is unhessed, wetted, submitted to a temperature sufficient to rupture the starch cells, dried, and finally rolled out in a flaky condition. Rice is similarly treated. The sugars used are chiefly cane sugar, glucose and invert sugar the latter commonly known as saccharum. Cane sugar is mostly used for the preparation of heavy mild ales and stouts, as it gives a peculiarly sweet and full flavor to the beer, to which, no doubt, the popularity of this class of beverage is largely due. Invert sugar is prepared by the action either of acid or of yeast on cane sugar. The chemical equation representing the conversion or inversion of cane sugar is C12H2011H2O6H12O6C6H12O6. Cane sugar water glucose fructose invert sugar invert sugar is so called because the mixture of glucose and fructose which forms the invert is lay of the rotatory, whereas cane sugar, 